This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got a great panel discussion with Michael Woods of NewYorkFights.com and Adam Abramowitz of Saturday Night Boxing. The three of us talk about Canelo's latest drama. Always seems like there's drama with Canelo, how that might resolve itself. Plus, we get into the Charlo twins. They've got a couple of stiff tests coming up in their next fights. And Tim Zhu, the son of Kostya Zhu, makes a big splash with a knockout win over Jeff Horn. Just how excited should we be about a potential big star from Australia? Get into that and much more with my panel this week. A little bit later on, Jamel Herring, the 130-pound champion. He is finally getting back in the ring this weekend after having two fights postponed because of bouts with COVID-19. Herring talks about that experience this summer, how he's preparing for this fight, what he thinks of a future fight, with Carl Frampton, and what he thinks about people who look at athletes kneeling for the anthem as being disrespectful towards the military. Herring, of course, in addition to being a world champion, is also a Marine, so he's got a unique perspective on that as well. Stick around for that great conversation with Jamel Herring. As always, best way to support this podcast, subscribe, rate, review. It's easy. Get over to Apple Podcast, hit that subscribe button, rate us, review us. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast every single week. All right, on to my conversation with Michael Woods and Adam Abramowitz. 
All right, welcome in. Got a good panel for you this week. Mike Woods, publisher of NewYorkFights.com, writer for Ring Magazine, and Adam Abramowitz, uh, SaturdayNightBoxing.com is his website. Two of the best boxing guys out there to join me in. Uh, I, kind of a weird week, fellas. Like this, It's not one of those weeks where I'm super excited about uh, the fights coming up, but th- there's always drama in boxing, right? There's always some kind of, of just total nonsense that we have to talk about. And I, and I guess, Adam, I'll, I'll begin here with you. The The drama between Canelo Alvarez and DAZN, it's like never-ending. It's just like you can't, you can't get this guy into the ring. There's conflict between Canelo and Golden Boy. There's conflict between Golden Boy and DAZN. Now there's newfound contra- conflict between Canelo and DAZN, potentially. Um just give me your overall kind of view of of how this is all how this all has been playing out over the last uh, month or so. You have a couple of problems here. You have a very large contract that's been given to Canelo and you have the realization that you literally can't force a guy to fight somebody else. So Dazone has been very restrictive on potential opponents. They can understand they want to get some value for their contract. But at the same time, you literally can't say you must fight Golovkin. Uh, that's not how boxing works. Someone could give up a belt. You know, somebody could say, I'm not fighting. So there has to be some give and take where a legitimate collection of opponents is presented that's fair and works for all parties. So I think it's a learning curve from a lot of parties involved here. And uh, yeah, it looks like a marriage right now and not a marriage at a very happy place. Mike, how do you see it? I like what Adam touched on and ending with that it looks like a marriage. These are incredible times. Chris, you say that this week is crazy. It's boxing. Every week is crazy. In these times, crazier times five and ten. And being like a marriage. uh, So many marriages are doing so well right now. People are cooped up together for going on four months and they're seeing more of each other than, you know, it's compressing five years of time into four months. Now it's not exactly the same as Canelo and DAZN. That stuff's playing out and it's way out of my pay grade because the Chris, Adam, the money level is so crazy that, I mean, I could boil it down to this, even billionaires have budgets, right, Chris? Even billionaires have budgets. And I don't know the backstory of DAZN and the different arms of the company and how much money they want to be taking in and what the subscriber base is and the retention, all that. It's very complex. It shouldn't be maybe, arguably, because it's boxing and we want to see two guys get in the ring and fight. But y'all, we all here are savvy enough to know that it's the boxing business. And it's often, and most of the time, it's less actually about competition than about making money. And that's what this is. And it could be a really long time before that thing gets settled. Adam, is there like a right, side of this a wrong side of this i mean you know canelo can say he's got a contract 
and you're obligated to pay me the 35 million in that contract and that's just the way it goes uh, if you're disowned you're looking at Canelo's opponents from last year and there's one very noticeable absence from that list I mean you signed Canelo and Gennady Golovkin to have them fight each other and last September Canelo had a golden opportunity to face Golovkin they were both coming off uh, solid wins Canelo over Daniel Jacobs Golovkin over uh, an overmatched Steve Rolls and there was momentum for that third fight and Canelo passed and you know if you're if you're golden boy you know DAZN's looking at you and saying you guys haven't delivered on your promises either I mean is there I mean is there a side you can sort of jump on in this particular you know, dispute well there's the analogy that I used is between Floyd Mayweather and Showtime when Floyd Mayweather signed that six fight deal not every opponent was great you got Canelo out of that. You got Pacquiao out of that. But you also got Robert Guerrero, and you ended it with Andre Berto. And to Steven Espinosa's credit at Showtime, he didn't make a big stink about it publicly. And I think because he understood the importance of Floyd Mayweather, they wound up getting Mayweather-McGregor, which turned into be one of the top two or three pay-per-views of all time. And so I think the lesson to learn is it's a star-driven sport. You know, you piss off a star at your own peril because these are what drive the sport. This is what drives people there. Canelo is going to be a star wherever he's on. So if he's on another broadcast, if he's on the zone. So I get it that not everything's happy. The side that I don't understand, though, is the publicly leaking of all of this. That's weird. I mean, there's going to be disagreements of opponents. There's going to be uh, discussions, things over money, but the leaking of it is new to me. And that's something that's, that strikes me as, as unique in this situation. Mike, you think it's problematic that this all kind of has played out very publicly? No, it's good for us. <laughs> it is good for us. Yeah, It's always good for us. It's interesting what, get, what gets leaked and what doesn't, who does leaking. I found Golden Boy to actually be pretty well-structured, oftentimes at not leaking that much. Oscar goes and does like his own – thing a lot of the time but this again strange times weird times in media weird times there is more factionalism and tribalism and relationships cemented now with media and sources than arguably there ever has been so things selectively getting leaked um Sometimes it's fun to just try to figure out where the stuff comes from and, and why it gets leaked out. As far as lessons being learned, the DAZN people, most of them in there, came to boxing without having a deep foundation in boxing. And when you're negotiating contracts in boxing, it's a different freaking animal. This ain't MLB. This ain't NBA. Different animal. I'm not saying I was there. I'm not saying I know how the contracts are structured, but if there was any element of a gentleman's agreement here, don't do it. Make it explicit. Make them sign it. If you think something's going to happen and you think we're simpatico and on the same wavelength, don't assume that. Get it in writing. Yeah, you you can't have gentlemen's agreements in boxing. Like, it, they... No, it never holds up. Nobody operates like gentlemen most of the times. So you can't have Chris, a gentleman. You agreement. do. I've worked with Adam on Fight Night Live. There are gen right. I'm not 
we like to think, and there are some, and I would like to think that even more so when the sums of money are, are this large. I would hope that that would encourage people to find a middle ground and say, all right, I understand. The revenue isn't rolling in like we thought it would. This pandemic sucks for everyone. I'm going to find a meeting in the middle. That's easy for me to say. I've chosen journalism as a career, not a businessman, right? So easy for me to think and hope for, but that's not the way the real world works. There are people that operate that way as gentlemen, as good handshake deal. It still happens, but sometimes it happens like less when the money gets that large. It messes people up. Yeah, no question about it. I do have some optimism that Canelo will be back in the ring in November against either Billy Joe Saunders or Callum Smith. I think those, I've been hearing those discussions are productive at this point. And you know, I, I think Canelo wants to fight. DAZN wants him to fight. I just have to believe they'll come to some kind of resolution that gets him back at some point before the end of the year. But Adam, let, let me ask you, taking kind of a, a step back and looking at what DAZN's trying to do right now, they've been inactive. You've seen top rank and ESPN come back. You've seen Fox and PBC come back. Um, you haven't seen Matchroom back more than just one show. You haven't seen Golden Boy for more than just one show. I am not expecting either promotional outfit to have a fight in the U.S. in September. You might not even have a fight in the U.S. in the first two weeks in October. When you look at what you know, Top Rank and PBC are doing compared to what Matchroom and Golden Boy are doing and how the networks are operating, uh, what do you think? What do you think of the decision that, that's obviously a conscious decision uh, not to have fights until a little bit later in the year? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of those cases where there's smoke. And so a lot of people like to read into what fire that might be associated with. Um, I think you have a couple of different variables. One is that Eddie Hearn uh, is in England and uh, it's been difficult to move freely between the countries. He has a stable there, a stable here. Uh, so logistically getting that together, the show that he put together in Oklahoma was kind of subbed out to a large um a degree to, uh, to Tony Holden, I believe, out in Oklahoma. So that's been a logistical issue, but Golden Boy is in America. So Golden Boy, in theory, they're here, so you can't use travel as an excuse. So clearly, uh, you know, and DAZN has the right to reassess what it wants to do and determine how active it wants to be. Uh, I just know for the people that have subscriptions, you know, they want content. You know, there are a lot of people that bought the zone chiefly for the boxing and it's month after month. And listen, I'm, I hope everybody watches this podcast as do you and, and Michael, and that'd be fantastic. <laughs> but we all, we all got into zone for the fights. And so without that, um, that's a really tough proposition moving forward. So um, there could be a number of reasons behind it. Some legitimate, some, um, you know, Absent me speculating more, we just want to see the product. You know, they had a very good 2019. I thought they had a very strong year, especially when you factor in the World Boxing Super Series. I'm talking about the zone. So people were very enthusiastic about their start in the industry. So it's been disappointing to see how the last six months have happened. And, and they're not really taking the, uh, the bull by its horns and, and, and moving forward. So, uh, you know, they have the work cut out for them. These other companies are being aggressive in their restart. Yeah, Mike, selfishly, 
I mean, I want to see Matchroom and Golden Boy get back. I want to be back out there doing significant shows as as a broadcaster. All that being said, I I, I don't want to see crap. And I feel like a lot of times over the last two months, we've seen crap. I mean, I think that Top Rank had to put some bad shows on. Part of it was pandemic-related. They lose Jamel Herring a couple of times. They've lost some significant fights on their cards. That just can't be helped. That's part of you know what's going on in the world today. Uh, but they've also put on some lesser shows that you know there really wasn't a high level of interest in. Uh, PBC comes back in force in August, and these Fox shows have been brutal. Like they have been, you know, a hundred to one odds, you know, in favor of the A side of these fights. Whether it's Sean Porter against Formella, yet Eris Landy Lara against Greg Vendetti. Coming up this weekend, you've got Ugas against Ramos and. I don't know what you guys think, but I think Ramos could be target practice for Ugas in this fight. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to see boxing come back with just boxing. I want to see boxing come back with something that people want to see, that people want to talk about. I mean, people were talking about Aledir Alvarez versus Joe Smith. Like, it's not a a title fight or even the best of the best at light heavyweight, but it's a great fight. You you need to have, in my opinion, Mike, you need to have boxing come back with quality. If you don't have quality, don't come back. Like, stay off the airwaves. Stay off. Don't, don't put broadcasts on because I think it's detrimental to the health of the sport if you come back with stuff that people are looking at going like, what 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 is this? What am I, why am I watching you know, Arislandi Lara toy with a guy that he's a massive favorite against. I think there's a a negative to that kind of stuff happening. It's Chris, you said earlier uh, two months worth of you saw a lot of crap. I feel like I've seen a lifetime's worth of that too much. And I get sick of hearing myself saying it. It's like spitting in the wind. But I, we have to be the ones that are calling for the best fighting the best. You have a little bit, we have a little bit more of a platform, gents, and it's incumbent upon us. The fans want it. We have to be the voice of the fans, right? It's got to be the best fighting the best. Now, I want to be reasonable. I want to understand we are having a pandemic here. The world will continue to keep turning more regularly at some point. So what happens right now is not going to be so material probably a year from now. Who knows that? A Bob Arum knows that. 88, 89 years old, and he understands. I'm not coming out of the gates hard, throwing a lot of money and stuff, uh, because this is, all, this is all too strange. I'm not risking Terrence Crawford getting sick in a bubble. So I'm going to keep it at a certain level. Do I think, do you think, do the fans all think that that's the right idea? You, you saw the ratings with ESPN there. I asked Bob about them, and Bob said, Mike, it's summer ratings. No one's watching TV. There is something to be said for that. But, gents, five years now, since 2015, I haven't seen an eyeball explosion Mannix is smart. He does NBA. They watch NBA. They got growth. He still does this. Bless him. He must love the sport. But I don't think the right decisions are being made often enough by all of them. 
not singling anyone out, lumping them all together. Got to have more of the best fighting the best. We don't have the collection of eyeballs that we should have, and that's the way to do it. It's not rocket science. But these guys, that's not the way they think. Again, businessmen and women think differently than I do. That's not the way I would structure it. I don't like it. And and Adam, like people on, you know, the PBC defense squad that's out there on Twitter get very defensive uh, when you criticize the Fox rankings. I, I've said countless times, I hope Fox stays in boxing forever. Fox is great for boxing. It's the kind of yeah. fire hose that you need to grow the sport, but you're not growing the sport if you're just putting blowouts on there. I mean, it's the same with any other sport. Like nobody watches even a playoff game in the NBA if it's a 20-point game in the second half. Like, you're just not watching it. And boxing has become the equivalent of that too many times. These 20-point blowouts that people are like, I don't want to see a, a technical, you know, dominant performance by Eris Landy Lara. I don't need to see Sean Porter against a, a guy that just stands there and takes punches. I mean, this is, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's, and I've, I talked about this last week, but I think it's going to drive Fox out of the sport at some point if they, if they continue to get these bad ratings. Yeah, you know, I think all parties are guilty of putting on main events that uh, aren't fantastic, and this is not a new phenomenon. And um, it's been very tough, especially when there's not a lot of money out there to get the type of fights that we want. I'll say this, though, about the bubble and even some of the Fox shows. I mean, as someone who is a big, you know, boxing dork, you know, I love, I love it. I watch all levels. Most of the shows, and including even Fox last week, some of their undercard fights have been very good, you know? So I found something usually pretty good on most of the broadcasts. Now I understand that doesn't drive ratings. You know, it's a star driven sport. I tell people that all the time. They said, well, we need competitive fights, competitive fights. That's part of the equation, but you can make competitive B fights all the time. And it was not going to drive huge ratings. So really we need our stars back. And I think, I think the boxing calendar in September and October is looking much better. Uh, I think the fall should have a number of strong fights. I like a couple of the PBC fights specifically. I think Top Rank has a strong October uh, calendar. I really like that Dillian White Pavekin fight uh, on London. That, I mean, uh, Master, that was fantastic. It was a great fight. So I think the fights are going to come back, and I think interest and eyeballs hopefully return. I agree with you. Um, you know, better main events are better for the sport. We need our stars back. Uh, but I don't want to pretend that this is a new phenomenon. I mean, I was very disappointed with, uh, for instance, top-ranked schedule last year in 2019. I thought they had a number of main events that were not good. Uh, I, I, I'm liking what they've done a little better this year. So, you know, this has happened with, with Showtime at points. It happened with HBO at points, you know, and it's just the cycle of we're going to take our fans for granted a little bit, and then they kind of, you know, realize, oh, um, yeah, we probably need to put some better product out there. And then, you know, it goes back and forth. So uh, I think you're right, but I'm also not overly alarmed at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think to Mike's point, it's, it is still important to keep calling it out and keep saying, like, this is not a good fight. This is not a real fight. It's not for a real world title, which is, 
another conversation altogether. Um, Mike, let's talk about uh, one of those significant fights happening in the fall. That's Sergey Derevchenko, who's had some really tough luck in his last two world title fights, losing a razor thin decision to Daniel Jacobs, losing a close decision to Gennady Golovkin. Now he gets his you know sort of third crack at the apple when he takes on Jamal Charlo for Charlo's uh, WBC title. Derevchenko. Sounds confident, Mike, going into this fight. Says it's going to be the exact same type of performance we saw against Golovkin. Let me ask you two parts of this question. A, do you believe that? Do you believe that Dervinchenko has another performance like that in him? And what kind of chance do you give him against Jamal Charlo? We have to answer that by being Gennady Golovkin. We have to answer that by knowing exactly how and why Golovkin was diminished when Derevyanchenko gave him a much tougher tussle than many assumed would occur. Derevyanchenko not going to be best suited against this type of athlete who is younger, fresher, stronger, really suited for 160. Charlo has to be favored here. Chris, my main takeaway from this is I'm very pleased that the young lion, Charlo, is taking this test. Adam, I think that's one of the ones you're liking too, yes? Uh, Definitely. It's incumbent upon these athletes to be testing themselves. And so promoters are going to want to put their A side against the A minus guy, take a good portion of the pot, have their guy get the win, and they're going to be risk averse. The fighters have to understand, is my legacy going to be these houses, these cars that might not stick around? Or is it going to be actually taking tough fights, winning them, and then having everyone in your hometown know who the hell you are? All that's going to be playing out. It has been playing out. I I can pick a name out of a hat. Peter Quillen. Right? Had a lot of opportunities. He's made money, etc. But the Charlos are going to be there in five years, Chris and, and Adam. And what's it going to be? What's the legacy going to be? So that's another thing that I try to sort of subtly encourage with this micro platform that I have. Guys, it's on you. Take the tough fights. People don't believe the guys that are saying, I'm taking the tough fights and it's about this – and this goes around the horn, guys, for all the promoters and all the, all the fighters. Terrence Crawford, he's going to be 32 going on 33, right? You've got to take those tough fights now. So props to Big Charlo for taking this tough one now. He should be the favorite in this one. I say 65-35 favorite. That's me. Yeah, Adam, how do you see it? I mean, I, I give Charlo credit, too, for taking this fight. Um, of course, I was driving the bus for Charlo Andrade for the better part right, of the last right. year. But, you know, I'll, I'll you know pull that bus over the side of the road for a minute and watch this fight. Um, he had kind of his gimme year last year. You know, Brandon Adams, not a tough test. Dennis Hogan, not a tough test. And now we'll see what he's got at 160. I mean, Jamal Charlo was a very good 154, but he's proven nothing at 160 pounds. He's got a world title because the WBC sucks and they like to make franchise champions out of people. Uh, This is going to be his opportunity to prove 
what he has uh, at middleweight. How do you think this, how big a test is this going to be for him? Because I think the other part of it is too, like, you know, Mike mentioned, what is Golovkin? I wonder coming off a fight like that, how much it takes out of a Derevinchenko. Like Golovkin wasn't great, but he landed some shots on, on Derevinchenko. Yeah, Sometimes a fight like that can take something out of you. How do you see this fight, uh, you know, playing out? Yeah. Well, Derevinchenko is 34, you know, and I know he hasn't had a long pro career because he, he turned late coming from amateurs, but yeah, I mean, he's out there. Um, so I think Derevinchenko has impressed me in his two big fights on some degree, but I think he's also found ways to lose those fights. So in both those fights played out remarkably similar where he was dropped in the first round and comes back into the fight and then kind of fades in round 11 and 12 a little bit, or at least doesn't really step on the gas like he could have at the fight. So, uh, Charlo, uh, especially Jamal, is not an active fighter. He doesn't like to throw a lot of punches. He likes to wait in the ring, and he likes to land power shots. You can outbox him. You know, you could outwork him, too. I just think that at certain points, he's going to land some really hard shots. So um, I'm expecting a good fight. Uh, I'm expecting if Charlo doesn't get him out early, which is possible, uh, then he may need to get him out late to win. So I think uh, I think in the rounds where uh, you know Derevchenko is going to work, he's going to pile up points. I think it's really going to be what hard shots can Charlo land. He has a big toolbox. We saw what he did to Julian Williams, for instance. He has some really great knockout weapons, but when he's not landing them, you could outwork him in those moments. So good fight. I think Charlo's the small favorite. I think he has more ways of winning the fight, but. Um, if he's a little off his game or not so sharp, I mean, that's a that's a fun fight, you know, coming into the championship rounds. Mike, this is a fun day of boxing on the 26th because you're going to have both Charlos in action at, at Mohegan Sun and kind of a doubleheader on Showtime pay-per-view. And, you know, you mentioned, like, what, they, what happens in five years? What do they look like in five years? As you kind of project out over the next five years, I mean, which Charlo – would you rather be associated with? Which Charlo, I guess, are you buying stock in over the next five years? Because Jermel's eventually going to migrate to 160 pounds. They'll both, you know, I don't know if they ever fight each other, though I guess you can't really rule that out with the way they talk to each other. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, both these guys are going to have opportunities. Which which one do you like more as a fighter? And which one do you think is going to have maybe the greater legacy. I'm going to go with option C and I'm going to pick neither of them. I'm not going to buy stock in either of them. I'm going to monitor them. I'm going to keep monitoring them. And I'm going to be hoping to hear wording, certain wording, certain phrasing uh, that indicates maturity. I don't, I wouldn't want to buy these stocks. They're too volatile, Chris. I would buy stock in Virgil Ortiz Jr. 22 years old, I'm seeing the right things, I'm hearing the right things. That is not to say there's not a base of talent in both. I, but I worry, and they don't care, and they shouldn't, but I worry about how sometimes money corrupts. Not focusing just on these guys, but uh, focus on uh, the homes, the cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, more so sometimes than the fights. That's, again, I'm focusing in on them a little bit too much, but I think they 
they juggle nicely. I think they stay in shape, right? I, I don't see them bloating up in between fights. Um, but I'm going to pick someone else. So far, I feel like they're sort of comparable. I do find their rivalry interesting. I did find the beef of two weeks ago. Uh, it was Jermall, re- Jermell really losing it on Jermall. Jermall seems to be the bit more stable one as far as family goes and what have you. And uh, Jermell didn't want to hear any more about Big Charlo. So uh, the journalist in me finds that dynamic interesting. I'm flipping a coin on those two. Think possibly Jermell with a little bit more of the hand speed and explosivity might play out to be better down the line. But I think the older brother is a bit more mature. So it's a wash. I'm going with Virgil Ortiz Jr. Adam, I, I like – what I like about Jermell Charlo is that he's kind of seized the moment in the last year or so. Um, whether it's, you know, the first fight against Tony Harrison going – into a rematch, now taking on Jason Rosario to you know, try and collect three pieces of the 154-pound title. He just seems to, to be hunting you know, as many of those big-ish fights as you can possibly guess. Yeah, now, I, I hope that continues. Like If he winds up beating Rosario when he's going to be a favorite going into that fight, I hope that he turns around and is willing to fight a Jared Hurd or somebody else in the 154-pound division. But... And I don't include Patrick share in that because I don't really care about a unification fight there. Um, what I do like about young uh, young Charlo, what a Jermel Charlo, is that he's in a weight class where there are a lot of makeable fights, big fights that are makeable fights on the PBC side of the street, and he's seizing those opportunities. I, I think that's that's big. Now, Jamal, there have been opportunities for him in the last year, but not as many. Jermel's had him, and in my opinion, he's jumped on him, and I, I like that about him. Yeah. There's actually a huge difference if you look at their resumes. Jermel, who fights at 154, has faced infinitely tougher competition than Jermel. This is not just Jermel at 160. I'm saying even when Jermel was at 160, Jermel has the one fight that's noticeable, uh, notable with Julian Williams. But if you look, um, Jermel has fought a number of top 10, 154 pounders. He's been he's actually more seasoned in the ring. One thing I like about Jermel a lot, you know, they were both originally uh, trained by Ronnie Shields. And Jermel, for whatever reason, wanted to make a change. He's with Derek James now. And you notice once that change occurs, he's become much more of a puncher. He was always the boxer, you know, when when because, you know, Big Brother had the power, you were the boxer. And it's like Derek James almost gave him this confidence. Like, hey, man, you can punch too. You could be in the pocket too. You know, he used to be, Jermel used to be known for his jab and his legs, and he's really learned to sit down his punches. I think he's become a much more well-rounded fighter. Um, you know, you, you don't want a guy believing in your um, power too much that they abandon other parts of their game. But I've been very impressed with his uh, uh, willingness to add to it over the years. So I think that's a real a feather in his cap. All right, let me finish, guys, with... You know, staying in the 154 pound division, and you know us diehards up at uh, 5 a.m. this past weekend. You know, watching uh, Tim Zhu, the son of Costa Zhu, the Hall of Fame uh, fighter, just beat the pants off of Jeff Horn in one of the bigger fights that we've had in Australia in a while. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Tim Zhu out there. I haven't seen him uh, fight too many of, of his previous fights, but. Anytime you have a fighter that wins a fight like that, 
uh, against a quality opponent like Jeff Horn, and you see him draw a crowd of like 16,000, you know, during a pandemic overseas, which, you know, would have been a bigger crowd if we weren't in the middle of this COVID-19 stuff. It piques my interest. It makes me wonder, you know, what do we have on our hands here? So, uh, Michael, I'll start with you. You know, he's got the bloodlines, you know, to be a, a great fighter. What do you think of, of Tim Zhu? Jury's still out, Chris. Jeff Horn, quality name, but quality fighter at this point. He's two and three in his last five. His legs were, his legs are just diminished. He is diminished. The people that Zoo has fought to this point, I'm, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to be a wimp and say, oh, let me see more. I'm going to, well, I kind of am. I need to see more. Jeff Horn is not more. Uh, the buzz around this fight, Chris, surprised me how much attention was paid. But then again, it shouldn't because he's a name. He's the son of a name, though. And I don't know Zoo's mom. She might have been Olympic athlete, but likely the genetic package that dad enjoys is going to be better than the son enjoys. I've seen enough of the son, Chris, for me to say this is not someone who blows me away at all. If I want to watch anyone that's about 15 or 16 and 0, I'll go back to Virgil Ortiz Jr. Thank you. <laughs> we know that Mike is the charter member of the Virgil Ortiz uh, fan club uh, from this podcast. Um, Adam, let me uh, let me ask you the same question. I mean, you watch that fight, you, know, you see the crowd. I mean, I I guess when I look at at Tim Zhu, I mean, I you know Bob Arum said this: you got to kind of bring him along slowly. You wouldn't put him in a world title fight until you know probably next year. But I, I would imagine promoters got to be you know kind of chomping at the bit to see if this kid can fight because if he can. You can bring big fights to Australia. I mean, we saw Pacquiao fight Jeff Horn over there. You can make a lot of money uh, in the Australian market. I would imagine there's, if not a belief in Tim Zhu, uh, optimism, hope, you know, pleading that this guy can become a big fighter. You know, it's really funny that Tim Zhu and Majramov, uh, Israel Majramov, who's a big uh, fighter in Eddie Hearn's stable, they both, both at 154 pounds, both two of the biggest names uh, in the division in terms of coming up. Both of them, their teams want to move to a title shot as soon as possible, and I would hold the brakes on both of them. Uh, I would say, listen, uh, both of you are probably two or three fights away, and for different reasons. The problem, as Mike pointed out with Tim Zhu, is he hasn't had good developmental fights in Australia. They just It's very tough getting credible opponents, and he looked good against Jeff Horn. He has a nice left hook. You know, he knows how to fight. He wasn't intimidated, but... He just hasn't seen enough tough rounds, uh, enough credible guys. You need that that seasoning uh, that you're going to get. A guy who I know is on another side of the street possible, but a guy like Terrell Gaucher, somebody like that would be perfect, you know, like a lower top 10 guy. You know, he needs that. He needs to see more looks. And I would say, you know, Madrimov is similar. I mean, that fight against Eric Walker, I mean, if he's such this, this savant, he should be getting hit by simple, you know, one-twos. I think both of them need to like pump the brakes a little bit. You have something with both guys, you know, they, there's talent there, but we've seen too often young fighters rushed way before their time and they never develop like they should. So that's my one concern with, with Tim Sue. You have something there, but you need to develop it properly. Yeah. Develop him and just, 
I mean, I'm sure there'll be some that won't say bring him to the U.S. Screw that. Just keep fighting over there and keep drawing a good crowd. Keep making him as bankable as possible because, I mean, 154 is not the sexiest division. It's got good names in it, but it's generally not as sexy as welterweight or, or middleweight. Um, but, you know, so if you have a, a guy that's going to generate a lot of money, you know, keep keep building that brand, baby. Like, try to develop him as best you can, but build that brand and get him into a position where you can bring whoever a 154-pound champion is. How about we do this, Mike? How about Oscar De La Hoya, Tim Zhu in uh, in the summer of 2021? What do, what do we think? You got Oscar on speed dial. He he answers you. He'll, if you ask him that, well, <laughs> he, does he, not. He, do, he doesn't answer me. And by the way, he shouldn't. A little plug, I do work at the ring, right? And Oscar uh, owns the ring, so don't really communicate with him. And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, geez, I'm pondering that Oscar thing, and that's, that's bad. That's bad news for the sport that any of us all are talking about it. Man's 47 years old, hasn't fought since 2008, and the preoccupation with these people coming back is a bad signal. We're not manufacturing stars like we need to be. We should be. Uh, a lot of people close to Oscar don't want him to do this. But the older I get, the more I understand the craving, right? It's probably more healthy for him than being at home, maybe, right? It, it, it may be. For a lot of fighters, that's the way it is. Guys, we know this. Uh, who should he fight? I was talking to my friend Abe, who helps me out with uh, NY Fights, and he says, well, you know, I think Oscar wants a young gun. I'm guessing that Oscar's not going to want a young gun, but it's all about what's in his head. Is his pride speaking, or is it more about making money? Is it more about making an event? I think it should be about making an event. And, and Chris, you said it before. You said it was interesting. You said about Zoo, keep building Zoo at home, where you have that 16,000. But what that encourages is more showcase fights. Get everyone out of their comfort zone and make them fight the hard ones. Now, you understand, you look at all the angles. You're actually a real journalist. It's understandable. But I think sometimes we got to pick and choose, and we got to push them and say, no, no comfort zone. Go out and fight a hard one. That's not to be said for Oscar. Uh, it's going to be one and done, like Adam said, if he even gets to that. I'm going to not bet any money that he won't break down, get hurt, and, and, and this will be off. So I think us spending too much time thinking about who Oscar might fight is a fool's errand. No, I agree. I agree. So let's, uh, let's, let's not do that. <laughs> let's just leave it right at there. Uh, Mike Woods, NewYorkFights.com, Ring Magazine. Adam Abramowitz, check him out on uh, SaturdayNightBoxing.com. Does a terrific job there every single week. Fellas, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining me. Had a, thank you. Had a great time. Thank you very much for having me. Be well, guys. When we come back, my conversation with Jamel Herring. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. All right, joining me now on the show, he is the 130-pound champion. And by the time you hear this, he hopes his fight has not been called off. He is Jamel Herring. What's up, Jamel? Everything's going on. Everything's going good, Chris. I can't complain, man. I'm just happy just to finally be in here in the mix. I can't tell who's been more plagued, uh, for lack of a better word, by this coronavirus pandemic. You or Jose Ramirez, who you know had his fight delayed two times. I- I'm going to go with you, though, because you have actually trained, hopped into the top-ranked bubble, and days before your schedule fight, uh, had it called off for you know reasons that we can get into. But it's, I mean, what, what have these last couple of weeks, or a couple of months, I should say, been like for you? Um, it's been like a roller coaster ride, man. I mean, it's been tough. It's been tough, but I've, I. I think I think what made it a lot easier on me was the fact that it's not just me going through this. It's a whole the whole entire world is going through. I, I can understand if it was like why me, why me type of situation, but it's, it's not that type of situation. So I just took it for what it is, and I, I had to come to like an understanding, an understanding that you know safety comes first. And but here we are now. Do you believe? I mean, what do you believe has been the case with you? Do you believe you had coronavirus before the first fight? Do you believe you had it before the second fight? I mean, when do you think you had this, and what uh, impact did it have on you? Oh, I know, I know, I definitely had it. I had it before the um, before the the first postponement, which would have been July second. I had because I like I think like a week or two before then, I had basically um, started feeling the symptoms. Like I was, like, I was going through the fatigue factor. But I thought it was coming. It was basically coming from you know a hard, grueling training camp. So I didn't pay to pay much, much, much any mind. And um, then I started coming down with the um, um, I started uh, the the fever and the chills. But when I was going through the fever and then was sweating, I, you know, I, I drank a lot of water through camp. So I thought I was just working out and it was just hot. It was summertime, so I didn't think nothing of it. But it wasn't until um, you know, the chills and, and things that, and the body aches that that got me. That's when my um, nutritionist, because she keeps notes on every every one of my camps. She was like, you normally don't feel this way during this point of camp. You might want to go get seen. And when I want to go get checked out, that's when they told me, you know, I tested positive for um, COVID-19. And, I, you know, I told Top Rank and, and the team at ESPN. So 
I figured that, you know, once I get through the whole 10 to 14 day process of quarantine, I should be able to get back in the mix thing, go back, you know, go back into the, um, get to my original, my schedule. But, you know, so, but um, before then, before the July 14th postponement, I had tested negative because I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to travel unless I tested negative for the virus. So I, 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 I was clear to travel. And it wasn't until I got back here in Vegas that same, this, like the same week, they had said I tested positive again for it. And then the next day after that positive test, I tested negative in Vegas. I'm like, it's been, for me, it's been a roller coaster ride with this whole COVID-19. But yes, I did have it. But I know for a fact that I, there was a time where I didn't have it because, like I said, I, I tested so many times negative. But when it counted the most, I had tested positive. So when you test positive before the July 2nd fight, are you going into quarantine then? I mean, how quickly? I mean, because you turned around pretty fast and right. got back into on the fight schedule just a couple of weeks after. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I did quarantine for like maybe like literally, honestly, I probably quarantined for about like three, four days before I was like back on my feet. But I was still avoiding any contact with anybody, so I couldn't be around my coaches. But I was out there, you know, running. I was doing road work. I was, you know, I was getting my morning my morning runs in still, just to keep my body from, um, you know, with boxing you easily fall out of shape, you know, and stuff. So I, I just wanted to continue keeping the, um, all the hard work that we we, we had built up to that point. And more importantly, keeping the weight down as well. So I was still, like, I, I wasn't, like, that much. My body wasn't going through that much of an um, issue where I couldn't do much, you know. Only, the only downfall was I couldn't train and spar and be around be around people for the, those those two weeks. But that's why I wanted to jump back into it because I was still in shape. I felt, Or at least I felt I was still in top, in somewhat of a good shape. And, and when you got back into the gym, I mean, the, the idea of rescheduling it just two weeks after, was that your idea? Was that top rank's plan? I mean, how did that come together? It was, it was, it was pretty much a mutual, mutual agreement. Like, I was all for it. Like, I was saying, that's plenty of time. You know, because I, I, I've already endured majority of the camp anyway. You know, I came down with the COVID-19 virus just about a week before the original, the original schedule anyway. So it wasn't like I had, like, I was starting from, like, square one in camp. I was like, no, I've, I've done all of the hard work throughout most of the camp anyway. Actually, two weeks is not going to kill me. So I figured, like, okay, take, take a couple of days off, you know, and, just, and then get back out there and, and do what you do. And so it was basically a, a mutual agreement because, you know, top rank, it was, it was um, open to my ideas and what I want to do. And I was like, no, I still want to continue with this fight as a, as, a, as a real world champion. And, you know, let's go out there and take care. Let's go f fulfill our, our, our obligation. When you test positive the second time, are you just like, you know, what the hell, guys? Like, I, you know, yeah. you, I just had yeah. this problem. It's clearly not a second positive in the span of a month. Like, can we, can we work with this here? What, what is your reaction? Yeah, I think I think that's when I was getting more frustrated because it was like, you know, I, I did everything that was that was told from the doctor. I did, I did everything that was told from the team. You know, we 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 pushed it back um, further amount of, of time for me to get cleared by you know by by a doctor, which I did. I, I went and got tested um, July. I actually got tested July third, and then that test came back negative. So it's like, okay. I'm all right. I'm clear to fight in another. 10 days, 10, 11 days or so. So that's, that's plenty of time for me to still get my body, you know, um, working out the kinks and things of that nature. So when I came here to Vegas, I was like, you know, and they tested positive. I'm like, well, I, I, well let me just say this. Top Rank actually did try to save the fight because they believed that, you know, that my case was the, it wasn't, you know, a positive test where I could spread it. So they actually um, spoke with the commission. Um, I went to go get my antibody, um, antibody test done the same day as the weigh-in, before, before the weigh-in even started. 
And that came back basically um, saying that I, I, I had the virus, but I had the antibody in my, in my system that I fight it off. And then, but the commission at, the, at that point was like, you know, we got a positive test, so we, we, we don't want to risk it and, you know, and, and the fight's off. So then, then, then I was going, um, I was actually willing to fight because, you know, they were doing the, the Tuesday, Thursday night series. So my fight was on a Tuesday. And I said, well, if I take another, another COVID-19 test, okay, we can fight Thursday then. So I actually took the, the, the day of my fight, which was Tuesday, I took another COVID-19 test in town, in Vegas still, and then that test came back negative, and it was like they was like, well, no, well, and it was just that, and that's when I really got first because I took like three tests in one week, and you know, two, one came back saying I was cleared in, in, in the same week, and it was they still was like, well, champ, we'll just have to just let let it be, and we'll just push it back to another time. <laughs> How careful have you been this week? Oh my god, Dude, I have so many of these face masks just laying around, like. <laughs> Like in laundry, that's how many I have. So like, um, even when I when I went back home, you know, I went back home. It took two weeks off, so because I was like, I don't want to overtrain now. So I was like, let me just take this time to recuperate and just enjoy time with the family because I've already been in an eight week, eight week, ten week camp. So I went home. Um, you know, I just took the time off. When I when I did go out though, I I, I always kept um a face mask on. Um, I had I always kept sanitizer with me. Every time I go into a store, when I came out. I, when I got in the car, I, had, I you know, I was wiping my hands down, sanitizing it. So I was, I was very careful. And then, even when I went back to camp, I was, um, I didn't go out as much if I didn't have to. Like if I had to go be anywhere, it was just from the gym back to the house, and that, and that was it. Would you tell Bomac to wear a damn mask more often? Every time I see him in a video, he's not wearing a friggin' mask. The guy's like a human warning sign for COVID. I mean, come yeah. on, Bomac. Oh, man, I, I'll, I'll let him know. But he's been wearing a mask since we've been in this bubble. I'll tell you that much. That's the most I've seen him wearing a mask. But, yeah, everyone, everyone, uh, like, it, it got serious. Like, when it, when, it hit that, when it hit that close to home, everybody started taking it more serious. So, um, like I said, even now, I'm still, you know, doing like I do. Because I, I, I was actually more glad when I did get sick. It wasn't where my, like, my young, my daughters and, mm-hmm. and, my, and my kids were at, you know, was about to get it. So, I was I was I was cool with I was I was happy about that, but even now when I go home, I, I still um I still make sure that they're doing the right things, not to, not to get sick or, or, or you know or catch a, catch the, the infection. Bomac thinks Omaha, Nebraska is like this isolated area. He's just a lunatic. He's got. I, st- I, I, that's where I, that's where I got it from, Omaha, Nebraska. Like. <laughs> It's wild, man. Um, you could have done a few things with these cancellations. You could have moved off this title defense against Jonathan Akendo. You elected to keep it and defend your title in this fight. Take me through that decision from when you were originally scheduled to fight uh, to defend your title to the decision to continue down this path and make right. this a full title defense. I mean, I just felt that that was the right that was the right thing to do. It wasn't it wasn't Okendo's fault. You know what I mean? Um, even he thought that I could have just moved on to other bigger things and just said, okay, whatever, I'll just wait till the fall. But um, and at one point in time, my team even was even thinking about, okay, you know, champ, we don't want to risk because we don't know how strong your lungs are. We can just go get a different opponent and make it a non-title fight at a catch weight and for ten rounds. And I was, and I was when I was like, no, no, I, I want to um, go out there and fulfill my duty as a world champion. And by all means, we we have to get this fight. Um, we had to get this fight in and out the way. Mm. So I, I, that's, that's, that basically came out from my decision, if, if anything. Are you feeling any ill effects from when you were dealing with? 
I actually feel a lot better. So I think that the whole, the second postponement, I didn't have a blessing in disguise. Cause I was, like I said, I was like about 80% of myself to run out of time, but I still, I, I still felt there was enough to get through that fight and you know, with, with, a, with a victory, of course. But now when I had, when I went home and took those couple of weeks off and I got back into a six week training camp, um, I actually feel a lot better than I did over the past summer. Like I feel like the old me, but now I feel like a lot sharper now. So I think everything happens for a reason and it probably was just a blessing in disguise. And here we are now. You know, a lot of guys, Jamel are, you know, uncertain about their future. You're not in that position right now. You've got your fight in front of you. And if you win this fight, your next fight is in front of you. Carl Frampton, who just fought a couple of weeks ago, picked up the win that he needed to get. You're trying to get the win you needed to get. Uh, what did you think of Frampton's performance in his last fight? Um, it, it definitely wasn't his best, you know. And I'm like, you know, I'm happy that he was actually honest with himself. He even he thought that, you know, he probably needs to do be a little bit better his next time around, of course. But I mean, it's been a rough patch for everybody, you know what I mean? So I can't really look at that fight and then determine how I will go into a fight against him. In fact, I even say to myself, like, well. You know, I could criticize and critique his fight, but I still got to go out here and do my job. You know, I got to make sure that I come out unscathed and, you know, with a, with a, with a top performance and more importantly with my title intact still. But um, it, definitely um, it, it wasn't the best of Carl Frampton, of course, but I'm still um, I'm still looking forward to that fight. I'm still expecting the best Frampton because when you have something on the line that, that motivates you, I know it does for me at least, and, you know, he wants to make history as becoming the first um, Irish fighter to, to win world titles in three divisions. So I look at that as a threat. And, 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 and you know, and he's hungry. So, so I take the fight very seriously. But, like I said, first things first, we, um, he did his part. And I'm glad he, he came out unscathed. Now I have to do my part so we can um, still stay on course of our meeting. It's one thing, Jamel, to fight a Jonathan Akendo in the bubble um, that's a solid fight, but not a super fight, not a big-time right. fight. You look at Frampton, that's a big-time fight. I mean, two guys at the top of their game. Frampton, of course, a well-known name even here in the U.S. Uh, how comfortable right. would you be if that fight's in the bubble as well? I mean, is that something you're thinking that you're going to have to go in as as being the a, a, a fact of all this? Um, I think I think that that could be a strong possible reality at, at this point in the age of boxing. And, just, and it's just not... You know, I don't, I don't really stress it because it's not, it's not even at the point just boxes anymore. I mean, look at the NBA playoffs, the playoffs mm-hmm. bubble. I mean, so I mean, but they're still going out there and playing their heart out because there's a lot on the line in, at the end of the day. But and plus, you know, with boxing, we all say that most of us will say that once you're in it anywhere, you, you get tunnel vision, so you just focus on the man in front of you and just go from there. And I know, it, it, yes, I mean, I was. we all know it's no secret. I, I was supposed to go to Belfast in June, which has been a, the total opposite of a bubble, you know, <laughs> a, a crazy fight atmosphere. Any any atmosphere in the U.K. or Ireland is always – that that in itself is just, is always an event. Mm-hmm. So, like, but, like, you know, at the end, I, I just, like, like you pointed out, it's just a big fight to have on my resume. So that's that's more important to me, of course. And maybe ho- hopefully down the road we will get the opportunity to have those those big fights again. But I mean, right now we, we just got to do what we have and make the most of it. I mean, we could either have something or we have nothing. That's, that's how I look at things. Mm. Hey, tell tell me about it with the NBA bubble. I'm in the NBA bubble right now and watching <laughs> yeah. you know wa- watching LeBron James go for like 30 plus with no reaction whatsoever from anybody exactly. inside this arena. That is a unique experience for sure. I think you guys need to adopt the virtual fans that the NBA says. I've, I've yeah, kind of grown on me that. a little bit. I can agree with that. 
I can agree. Maybe yes. Maybe so. Maybe when the when the when the mega fights come, uh, hopefully, we, I mean, we we can do something like that. I know, and then we and we all know Bob is always thinking. Even at his age, he's always thinking of something. So I know I've I've heard whispers they 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 do want to do things like especially with the um say like the Fury um Wilder third fight. They want to start bringing in some of a crowd, but we we'll just have to wait and see. But you know, more importantly, if anything, because I know personally now from the COVID experience, um, safety comes first. Mm-hmm. No question. Uh, Bob, I, I've got more Bob Arum stories than I could possibly count. What's your your favorite Bob Arum experience or story or some interaction you had with him? Oh, man. I, uh, it's like you said, man. Like every time we run into Bob, it's an experience. A lot of people don't know this, though. When I, when, I, when I ran to Frampton November 30th here in Vegas as well, and I, and I got in a ring, you know, we, made, we basically um, announced the, the next fight, which would have been between us. If you watch, I had um, patted Bob on the head, whatever, and he, and he smirked. And he smirked. So I didn't think nothing of it. So I, after Frampton did his interview and the camera stopped rolling, Bob hit me to the stomach with a good right hand, and I wasn't expecting it. I'm like, so I'm like, okay, the old man still has it. So I'm like, yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then he whistles in my ear, curses me out when he whistles in my ear. Because like, like for me, patting him on his head. But yeah, Bob... <laughs> Bob is a, is a funny individual, man. When you when you when you're around him, hey, he's old school New York in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, uh, patting oh, yeah. on the head isn't going to go over all that well. Um, ah. a, a more serious note, like being in the NBA bubble, I've I've experienced uh, the reactions of a lot of the black athletes here to what's happened in this country right. with George Floyd and more recently with Jacob Blake. Um, how has it affected you? I mean, not only are you an African American young man, but you're also a U.S. Marine. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of life experience. I mean, how have you, uh, how have you taken the events of the last couple of months? Oh, it's it's, been, it's definitely been like an um a wild, um emotional roller coaster because like you like you mentioned that like you mentioned, I mean, people, especially veterans, some have issues with the still with the kneeling and the, the protesting and manners. But I mean, when when you look at it as a veteran, we fought for th- those Americans to you know carry out their beliefs and and, and use their rights and their amendments. So I have no issue with that. I mean, I, I personally always say that I maybe I wouldn't do certain things like um like especially with the national anthem because I've obviously um I've lost friends um with my time in, in the war experience. But um I on the flip side I say if they're doing it in a peaceful in a peaceful manner, I have no issue with that. It, you know, I, I'm not I'm not here to um you know get behind the the looting and things of that nature. Protesting is fine. Protest um if, through history, protesting has made changes when it was done correctly. And so so for the most part, even as an um, African American, um yeah, I, I still deal with um, a lot of um. I, there's times I get angry when I see certain things, but I believe that um with the athletes like LeBron and, and, and NBA players and other athletes, the way they're doing it, I, I love it because. You know, they're you know they're making their voices being heard, but in a respectful, peaceful manner, and I respect that. You know, and when you have a platform, even unless it's just myself, when you have a platform, I feel like if you're using your platform in, in a positive manner, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yes, of course you have people that try to tell you, oh well, he's an athlete, he shouldn't. But at the same time, that that athlete is also an American, and that and most of the time, the athlete is an African American. Who um you know who goes through the same pain as the individual the families that may have lost a a, lo- a loved one to brutality or violence so 
like I said, you could sit there and they could sit there and criticize athletes for what they're doing, but this is, at the same time, money isn't everything because that's, that's nothing that people use. Oh, well, they make all this money. They should just be happy with it. No, what's right is right. Justice, people, some people would rather have justice than being wealthy because if you can't live free in your, in your own country, what's the point? No, I, I agree. It is next level stupid to say right. that black athletes that have money shouldn't talk because it's not like they were born multimillionaires. I mean, give me a break. They, right. I mean, exactly. yourself and others have experienced things that most people uh, could never relate to on, on a certain level. Uh, certainly not uh, even people like me on a, on a, on a certain level. I'm, I'm curious though, as, as someone in your position, uh, being a black man who's probably experienced some of the things these players are are kneeling for, and being a Marine uh, who you know, clearly you have, you have feelings about uh, players kneeling during the anthem. Has, have your feelings evolved on it? You know, really since Colin Kaepernick, you know, kind of started this to to where it is right now. I mean, how have they changed at all? Oh no, not at all, not at all. Even even before it got this intense, you know, I was all for what Colin was doing. Um, I actually commended him what he was doing. The man risked his whole career to make a statement. And at that time, people thought he was just wasting his time and just doing his whole career. But if you really look at it, the um the timeline, what he's done now is still translating until today and has grown over time. So you know he started something, and you gotta commend him for that. And he, and he, and, he, and then for the most part, people were trying to bring the whole military factor into the thing. He stated multiple times that he has nothing against his, well, his stance is, is, is nothing that says I'm disrespecting the milk, the, um, the veterans. And I, even we all, we've even seen people that were veterans even say they don't have an issue with it. it, it it's people that, it, it, for the most part, you see it's people that who haven't even served that have this all, all disrespecting the whole American flag. And, but I've seen, Countless veterans, even now, that that that, that stand behind individuals like Colin, because it's their God, it's God given right. That's what we fight for. Hey, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to like it, you know, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to agree with it, but you give give him respect and, and let him do what he does for his own beliefs and his platform. What What would you say then? Because as a veteran and as someone that very recently fought uh, on a military base in, in one of your last fights, I mean, what would you say then to the people? that say athletes kneeling for the flag is disrespectful to our military? I, I, I say that we had, we had to stop, um, you know, trying to put that and plant that, that type of that thought process in people's heads. Those athletes, um, not even, and I'm taking, I'm taking myself out, out of the equation. As I'm, I'm just speaking as a United States Marine. Those athletes are also Americans or they are, in the, or, or they're, you know, um, athletes who are citizens living in America. So, you know, if, you know, if you don't have to agree with what they're doing, but if they're not bothering you, if they're not harming you or taking anything from your from your from your um, everyday living, this shouldn't this shouldn't be an issue. I mean, there's there's people out there who um, you know, who don't like me for 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 the color of my skin, but I don't go out there and retaliate in the same manner as them because you know, you know, I I rather fight back. You know, with decency, self-respect, and using my voice for, for for good, and so, like I said, but it's their right to, to speak out however they want. You know, it's still a hey, First Amendment. That's freedom of speech. If they hate whatever, hey, that's their that's their right. But as long as they don't do any harm towards anybody in, in a physical manner, 
I don't, I, I don't really, I take it with a grain of salt. That's well said. Uh, Jamel, good luck on Saturday. If, if for some reason you don't fight, I promise I'll start a GoFundMe for well, you. No, we'll fight. If, <laughs> I, will start, I will start a fundraiser for Jamel Herring to get him his paycheck because uh, God, <laughs> God damn, man, this has been quite the summer uh, for you. But good, yes, luck, <laughs> good luck against the Kendo. And, and we're all kind of looking forward to uh, hopefully a big fight with you in Frampton at some point in the fall, man. Good luck and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate you, Chris. Man, take care out there. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.